0: down here, it's because of your successes that are counted to you because of the work of Christ. So Christ's successes are attributed to you. His righteousness, his death on the cross for sin, his burial, his resurrection is counted to you. And God deals with you based on the work of Christ instead of your works. Isn't that gracious? And this is not just flowery language to say we're a Christian. This is actual practical knowledge that we're to set our minds to on a daily basis, on a moment-to-moment, on a weekly, a monthly, a yearly basis. We're to set our minds to this so we can avail ourselves, ourselves, of The work of the Holy Spirit, another person in the Godhead, whereby he's the one that energizes, he's the one that empowers, he's our helper that Christ promised in the Gospel of John that we might manifest Christ, that we might know God. And it's through positional truth that we access this helper, his positive ministry. He also has a negative ministry that you access when you don't utilize positional truth. But even that can be looked at as positive also. So today, what we want to look at today is the fact that Jesus Christ himself institutes positional truth in the Gospel of John. So I want to ask, does anyone want to oppose Jesus Christ? Does anyone want to argue with the Lord? Do you want a, the Lord to work through you? Do you want to enjoy an attitude adjustment from the triune God? Do you want to have love, joy, peace be predominant in your life? Okay. Now there's really only one answer to each one of those questions if you're a Christian here today. And if you are... If it's not the right answer, I don't think we need to have a test to figure out which answer is right, right? Hopefully this is all leading us in the same direction mentally. Let's turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 14. to John 14, we, we are in what is called the Upper Room Discourse. Okay? Now these are titles that we have given different passages in Scripture. This would be in contrast to what? Maybe like the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? That was a message concerning the kingdom, Christ's earthly rule. Well, this is the message in the room. One seems like broad appeal, and one seems a little more secretive, right? It's in, a, it's in an upper room with only a few people listening. The Sermon on the Mount, there was lots of people there, and then it was just to the disciples, but then it, it got pro- talked about quite a bit, right? And there were things that were repeated. This is something you only hear about right here. And John the Apostle wrote about it or probably between 90 and 95 A.D., And it tells you right here in this book that, humanly speaking, you would have forgotten about this. Because Christ told the disciples a lot of things. Did they remember everything he said? Well, right in this very book, he says, you'd forget this, but I'm going to give you a supernatural person, the Godhead, that's going to bring these things back to remembrance. And he did, because John wrote about it when he's towards the end of his life. And he wrote about it for our benefit. So we would know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that instituted these things. They had been being practiced prior to them being written about. Because Christ spoke about them before they were written about. But Paul, Peter, all these guys had practiced positional truth before John 15 was written. But not before John 15 occurred. Everybody with us? Everybody mentally following? Alright. So we're in John 14. We come down to verse 15. Actually, let's just read verse 20. And then we'll go back. It says, At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Here we have the first germ truth of truth. This was more than the disciples could bear. They didn't get it. They didn't whoosh, whoosh, right over their heads. They didn't get it. Why do we call it a germ truth? What happens with a seed when you get it wet and it's warm enough, the soil is warm enough and it gets a little moisture? It germinates. That's what we call germination. The seed sprouts, right? But it starts with the seed. What's the seed here? Positional truth. Christ is the one that announces it. Christ himself. Well, that makes sense because he's the one that establishes our position. It's in him. He creates of the two in himself. One new man. That is our position at the Father's right hand. And he prophesies about it right here he prophesies about it in that day so it's he's talking about a future day it's that day not this day that day what does that tell you what does that imply about the day he spoke this it didn't exist so prior to (coughs) that day did these people have a position in christ no, they did not. That's why when we say David was not a Christian, you should not be upset. Was David a believer? Yes, King David was a believer, but he was not a Christian. Okay? When we say Moses was not a Christian, should we be upset about that? No. Are we saying when we say he's not a Christian, are we saying he's unsaved? No. We're saying he had a different relationship to God than we do. We're a different people of God. Same God, different promises, different content of salvation, different futures. right? And this points to that. In that day, there's going to be a change. It's going to be something new. Right? But something good. You go back, verse 15, it says, If ye love me, guard my commandments. Now, what this points to is that Christ gave a new commandment in chapter 13. It was a new commandment. It wasn't when people, a lot of people read this, they think, Oh, the Mo-! <sighs> Moses' commandments. The Ten Commandments. That's what they think when they read this. So then when our, the United States government starts taking The Ten Commandments out of courtrooms and out of schools. Christians are all, We're not going to have these, we're supposed to guard those commandments. That's not what this is talking about. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the commandments that Christ gave. The new commandment to love one another. And then all the different things that relate to that that he talks about after he says it. Give your life for your friend you to lay down your life for others. Talking about sacrificial love. Self-sacrificial service. Okay. Verse 16. And I will ask... This is actually a pointing to the deity of Christ. but You don't see it clearly, but the word ask is to ask as an equal. Christ says, I will ask as an equal the Father... And he shall give you another of the same kind of comforter, like to me, which is pointing to the deity of Christ, because he's the same kind that he is, that Christ was. That he may abide with you into the age. Even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because... It sees him not, neither knows him, but ye know him, for he dwells alongside of you, and shall be, again pointing to the future, shall be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, he's going to explain how he's going to be living how we're going to be living and how his life is going to affect us in this verse 20. At that day, you shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me and I in you. We will still be vitally connected. He's telling the disciples. I won't be physically with you, but you will be in me and I will be. Because I will live, you will have access to that same life. It's through resurrection life that we can utilize (coughs) eternal life. It's because we're in Christ who's risen that we can live out eternal life here. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, There's several things that will be mentioned here as germ truths that relate to positional truth. But we're going to focus on a couple. Number one, the the coming of the Holy Spirit would mark the beginning of positional truth at that day. And we saw that right here. The next thing, key concept that's related to positional truth is abiding in Christ. And what's the promise that comes from that? That you can bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit, which goes back to what we were talking about last week. That anytime you see Christian life information in the text, it is implying positional truth. Because without positional truth, you can't be godly. Without positional truth, you can't live eternal life. You can't utilize the fruit of the Spirit without it. So even when you don't see positional truth, it's there. Because what do you see? When you see a footprint, What does it imply? Somebody was here. If the footprint is living out eternal life, if the footprint is growing, if the footprint is godliness, what was there? Positional truth. Because without it, you can't have it. All right? But without Christ, you can't have For apart from him, you can't do anything. And as we come to chapter 15, we see this. So we have abiding in Christ. I was just going to lay this out and then we'll hit them. Abiding in Christ, which you can bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And then you have love, joy, and peace in John 15. That's all connected to abiding in Christ. We started out this message with, do you want to argue with Christ? Do you want to oppose the Lord? Do you want the Lord to work through you? Do you want to enjoy an attitude adjustment from the triune God? Do you want to have joy, peace, and love be predominant in your life? You better get with the program and enjoy who you are in Christ. Set your mind to it. Filter everything in your life through that filter. Okay? And Christ is the one who begins all of it in regard to personal truth. And we find it in the Gospel of John. Oh. We come to chapter 15. I, and I still didn't. I was going to summarize and then he'd come back. Abiding. Then we have sanctification, positional sanctification. We have positional unity and positional completeness. All are stated and talked about in the upper room. And it's all because of positional truth. These are all germ truths. They'll be expounded in the rest of the New Testament by the other by the apostles. But it all begins with Christ. Christ starts it all. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. He's our Lord. We are in him. He did the work, and we are enjoying the benefits. So in John 15, it says, I, because this is Christ speaking, before his death, burial and resurrection, I am the true vine, and my father is the farmer. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he he purges, he cleanses, he prunes. In every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it more, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now, this points back to previously. Um, Judas had been there, and Judas was an unbeliever. But this points to the fact that all that are there now are believers. Believers. They're already believers. Judas isn't there anymore. Judas was not a believer. He was a disciple, but he wasn't a believer. Which is a change. Because back then, you could be a disciple and not be a believer. You're right here in this book, it says many stopped following him. They had been disciples, but they weren't believers. That's a the concept of discipleship. Changes from the Old Testament to the New It transitions Into the New Testament And now disciple means believer See When people say discipleship You always got to ask what do you mean by that Do you mean make unbelievers Right Which 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 definition Of discipleship are you using The one from the Old Testament or the one from the New And what are you following Because Christ ain't here because I can't follow him in his teaching I can set my mind to things above right he did institute those thoughts he's the one that established the position this is how I will follow right? although a disciple is never used it in that way we read now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you verse 4 abide in me I, and I in you As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Now it's interesting, I had a talk with somebody this week, and they were saying how they grew up in a religious family, not Christian, though they would consider themselves Christian. And it's a works kind of religion. It's a religion that says you need to work, 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 work. Right? You need to be good. You need to be good. Don't be like the unsaved. Don't be like those unbelievers. Don't be like the unfaithful. Work, work, work. Right? I told this person, you know, I to me, that's just another... Uh, that's Satan's... That's just like all the different religions of the world. They all teach one... They have one thing in common. And this person was saying I just look at all he'd grown up in that but he doesn't he doesn't agree with it it was too confining he said (coughs) but realizing the religion he was raised under was wrong doesn't save him does it? he looked at that and he said I want something different so what he does now is he looks at all religions and he tries to find the similarities he thinks there's a grain of truth in all of it and he tries to find the similarities and he just tries to be a good was his conclusion. And I told him, well, this is a problem with that. None of us are good. And he recognized that. He recognized that he was wrong and he did bad things. And I'm not pushing this. He's instigating this conversation with me. And I said, the commonality, you're looking for commonalities when you should be looking for differences. The commonality, yes, all the religions of the world say, be good, be moral the thing is, none of it is enough. There's only one religion that says it's the only one and it's completely different than all the rest. It doesn't say be good. It says, I'm going to do it for you. Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. He did that. I didn't do it. He did it. And my works do not make it better. It doesn't add to it. It doesn't keep me saved. The works have nothing to do with my salvation. He did all the work. Anyway. It's true even after you're saved. All my works are worthless if I don't do them through Christ. If Christ doesn't do the work... It's nothing. I must abide in him for it to be something. And positional truth is the key to that. You drop down. Verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. This is a promise. If you're abiding in Christ, you can ask. Your will will align with God's will. This is the fallacy, though. People think, like, oh, no. Oh, mega millions is big. I can ask now. I'm abiding in. No, you're not abiding in Christ. Because if you were abiding in Christ, your will would align with God's will. You'd have been, be enjoying that change of attitude that comes <coughs> from the spirit. Well, you're no longer selfish. See the fruit of the spirit. The first one is love. First aspect of the fruit of the spirit is love. You, you lay down your life for the better of others. Your desires. Oh, but I want to be rich so I can give. Right. That's how they always try to get around it. You're not getting around. You're not going to do an end, run, an end run around God. No sweep. You know, do the sweep, do the sweep. No, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. You can't game God, right. but you now you you think, well, psh, I can throw away that verse. <laughs> well, you get it all wrong, folks. You're missing out on a beautiful, beautiful verse if you throw that verse away. The idea that your you can start seeing from the seeing life through the bigger picture is a beautiful gift from God. It takes a weight off. Stop thinking about just you and the thing, your future and what you've got going on. Start seeing things from a bigger picture. It is freeing, right? Herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit so shall you be my disciples. This continues on, the redefinition of disciple. You're not a disciple if you just listen to me and follow me. Now you're a disciple when you bear much fruit. And who can bear fruit? Those that abide. Who can abide? Those that are clean. Only believers. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Abide ye in my love. If ye guard my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might abide in you, that your joy might be full. So love, joy, right? Drop down. You can read this whole context. It's wonderful. Right, we'll, we'll hit a few more high points. Um, drop down to verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, okay. um, appointed you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Since the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Since you were of the world, the world would be fond of its own. but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Is anybody upset when you think you do something this is kind of in, this again is freeing for the Christian because when, when you first when you're a young Christian you, you might not be familiar with this passage and you think, oh, you're doing all these good things, and God's working through you, and you're, you're loving, you're laying down your life, and you think everybody goes, oh, look what they did. That was so cute. Oh, that was God in flag. God was working through that person. Amazing. But nobody does that. In fact, it makes maybe you're at work, and you're doing things, and you're working unto the Lord, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden, you're not raised to the top. You think, if I work all the time and do hard work, I'm going to be recognized, right? Because that's how it works, right? You work hard and you get rewarded for your hard work. Not necessarily as a Christian. Sometimes you're despised because of it. They call you, they might, if you. If they find out you're a Christian, they might call you preacher boy. Anybody ever, ever have that happen? Okay. Hey, preacher boy. And you're not a preacher, you just... Like the Bible, and you shared a verse one time, trying to encourage somebody. Now you're ridiculed because of it, right? Or anybody? Uh, I remember one time uh, I was working at a store, and uh, it would get quiet in the evening. That's kind of the normal workflow of a grocery store: is the customers stop coming around six or seven at night, from seven to ten at night. There's Time to get lots of work done. Well, I started pulling out freight from the back room at this store. They had a night crew. And I'd pull out pallets, and I'd start working them to stay busy, right? I got in trouble real fast. They'd say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? No, you don't do that. That's my job. Don't be working in freight. Just walk around. Didn't like me. It was you know over whatever, and they didn't like that. <clears throat> Remember the word that I said unto you: the servant is not greater than his lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Now you might make light of something like that, but I did that because I was working unto the Lord. Okay. I did it as a, as uh, as the as not as men pleasers. I didn't do it to try to get a raise or to get elevated. I did it because I was getting paid and I was working under the Lord. That's why I was doing that. So when you get negative attention put on you because you're working under the Lord, that is persecution. We make light of that. We say, "Oh, that's not somebody didn't you didn't say you're a Christian," and so that's not persecution. No, that is persecution because you're a Christian. Satan does not want you living out Christ. And he will use every aspect of this world to hinder you. Whether it's through satanic attack, through spirit beings putting bad thoughts in your head, or through the system pulling you down. Okay, And you need to realize that. I don't make light of this. You need to realize it. Christ spoke about it because you need to be aware of it because it can be mentally grueling if you don't realize this. It can be defeating mentally if you don't realize this. Right now, there's a lot of negativity in the world. If you don't realize this, It can be defeating. You might give up. We don't expect anything great from the world. What do we expect from the world? Hate. We expect to be marginalized. We expect to be ignored. Christ promised it. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no other man did, they had not had sin. But now... Have they both seen and hated both me and my father? Now I want to put a little connection here for you. If Christ did the works of his father, and they hated Christ, and Christ says, since they hated me, they hated my father. And back earlier, he said, in chapter 14, he says, ye, a little while the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live, ye shall live also. What does it mean when because you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you can live out Christ and they hate you? What does that mean? They hate Christ and they hate the Father. Right? Verse 25. But this comes to pass, the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me for no reason. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from a beginning. So we're going to skip chapter 16. There's still a lot there that relates. But I want to go to chapter 17. In chapter 17, Christ continues. We're going to read verse, let's just read 1 through 3 first. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this eternal life is that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It goes on. main thing here... He tells them that he prays concerning us that we might know him, that this eternal life is that we might know him. How does that come about today? This comes about today, that when we live out the fruit of the spirit, we recognize that that is God's character coming out through us, not our own. And that's how we come to know God. We're introduced to him at salvation. We read about him in the text and we know a little bit about him. But eternal life is, it's not just from reading the Bible that we get to know him. That's true. But it's actually in an experiential way, seeing his character being lived out through us. That's the life of God. That's the abundant life that Christ talks about in the Gospel of John. And that's, again, linked to positional truth. It's only through positional truth that you get to live out eternal life. You have it, but you only get to live it out as you relate to that positional truth. So we come here, and this is what's called Christ's high priestly prayer. He prays it, and he has a lot of requests to the Father in this passage. And again, what do we know about the prayers of Christ. The Father always hears and responds. every one of these prayers will come has come true or will come true. okay There is no uh, what do they say about prayer what, they, um, maybe uh, I maybe later, how do they say that about prayer? Uh, yes, no. yes, no or wait or yeah. stuff yeah. like that okay? Every one of Christ's prayer is yes. Yes. It will be fulfilled. So in John 17, look with me. Let's read from verse 13. It says, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled. In themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world." The world is not our source. That's really hard for us. We consider ourselves part of the human family, right? It's really hard for us to realize the world is not our, man, if an outsider was listening, they'd say, what do you think you are? Some kind of alien race? What what kind of crazy talk is this? What kind of weird, see? This is just simple Christianity. Oh, that's not Christianity. These are the words of Christ we're talking about. How can it not be Christianity, right? I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst guard them from the evil one. They are not out of the world, even as I am not out of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is Thy word is truth. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Now, I want to go back. This, well, I want to go back. What is he talking about when he talks about being set apart by truth? Okay, This is a, actually a theme in the Gospel of John. The idea of the truth. in John 8. Turn back there. And here you have Christ speaking to a large group. There's believers and unbelievers in the group. Says in verse 23, he says, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above, ye are of this world, I am not of this world. Man, that's an interesting. That's the very things he's talking about over in John 16 and 17, isn't it? Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. So the idea that this is a different gospel than today and when christ part of one of the gospels that a person had to believe at the time of christ was that that person is god that man standing before you that was born of mary that was a carpenter yeah that guy's god that wasn't an easy thing was it i saw that guy he grew up as a normal human being. I saw him as a baby. He had dirty diapers, blah, 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 you know. And the message was, no, he's not just another man. He's more than a man. He's God. He's the promised Messiah. They had to believe that. All right. Then said they unto him, who are you? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spoke to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Now when he says the Son of Man, this goes back to Daniel chapter 7, I believe. It was a prophecy of the Son of Man. Who would be God? Right? You can go back there. So again, he's pointing to the fact. He's, it's a veiled statement, and not really that veiled. that he <coughs> is the promised one. That he is God. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Man. He said things to inflame those that were against him. And he spoke these words, many believed in him. But does that say all believed in him? No, it says many. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So he, it's like if there was two groups. Now, I'm just saying this in a, to make a point. It'd be like all the believers were over here and all the unbelievers were over there. And he's speaking like this to everybody. And then he goes, okay, now. Okay, now, was the d- d- group divided like that perfectly? <laughs> no. He cont- Then he speaks, to those that have ears to hear. Right? He speaks to the believers that had just believed. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth And the truth shall set you free. You shall in the future know the truth. And in the future, it shall set you free. Right now you're living in a situation where you're under slavery. But you shall know freedom. Now immediately, those listening (laughs) go the wrong way with it. The answer, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Now, they being Abraham's seed, say, they really, it's interesting how people like to rewrite history, right? That's been going on since the beginning of time. What do they say? Those that win get to write the history? Right? They've been in slavery, many times, right, and they were in, in a sense, under subjugation to Rome, even at that moment. But Christ, as he, you will see here in a moment, he says, "I'm not talking about political subjugation or physical slavery; those both, those though, both existed." says I'm talking about a spiritual bondage not to any human being but to a sinful nature that every one of you possess Jew agenda no he doesn't say that Jesus answered him and said truly truly I say unto you the one who commits sin is the slave of sin and the slave abides not in the house into the age but the son abides If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. This is where Christ prophesies concerning the truth. The truth shall set you free. The truth is a doctrine, not a general contrary to falsehood. The truth is a doctrine that will set you free. Now, keep your finger here. Jump over to Romans 6. I want you to see this. This is the most simple explanation of this. The truth is a doctrine. The truth is a person. Okay? The truth is a doctrine. The truth is a person. There's a doctrine that relates to a person. Romans 6. Look here in verse 17. Actually, let's read verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves slaves to obey, his slaves ye are to whom ye obey. Does that fit perfectly with what we just read in John 8? Does it not? It's talking about the same thing, isn't it? If the shoe fits, right? Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the slaves of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. So they were a slave, but now they're not a slave. Because they obeyed a doctrine. What must that doctrine be? It has to be the truth, doesn't it? Because the truth is what would set free. Is everybody with me? And it tells you, What that doctrine is, right here in Romans 6, if you go back to verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as weapons of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have lordship over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. It tells you what the truth is it's a doctrine that you must obey and it relates to who you are in Christ Christ prophesied it Paul explains it now go back to John 3 Verse 20. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he that does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought, they are worked, they are having been worked by God. You're free to serve God. When you are a slave, a slave has no will of their own. That's the very essence of a slave. A slave doesn't doesn't get to express their own desire. A slave does the bidding of another. Love, the very meaning of New Testament love is self-sacrificial service. Christ, being the Lord of all, got down and washed to the feet of the disciples like a slave. And he redefined love. When we are loving, when we set aside our desires for the best of others, and it's energized by the Holy Spirit, not something we copy, not something, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like when it's really something as a result of us setting our mind to things above, the Spirit changing our attitude, and then us acting, that is freedom from the sin nature. And that, so what I was getting at here with this, in this verse, the truth is the outworking of God's will through you with you getting out of the way of the sin nature. You getting out of the way of the Holy Spirit is what I should say. And thus, God gets a work done through you. When you know, we don't relate to this idea of slavery too much today because we don't have slaves everywhere through our society. But back in Bible times, I think 60 or 80% of the Roman world were slaves. So it was a concept they understood. And when the slave did something, you didn't say, "Oh, good job, slave." You would say, "Good job, the owner of the slave." Look what Julius Caesar did. You know he didn't do it. It was all the slaves that did it. Look what all the aqueducts that they built, and look at what they did. And they conquered the world. Well, Alexander the Great, Greek, didn't conquer the world by himself. He had armies. Right, changing metaphors there. A little bit. Go back to John fourteen. We read from verse one: Let not your heart be troubled. The disciples were extremely troubled at this point. Christ tells them that he's going to go, and they're upset. Right. The, the, they'd just been at the garden and the, the, the warriors had come. That's all happened right before this. right? Somebody's ears been cut off right? All that stuff had just happened. They were upset. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And where I go, ye know, in the way ye know. Thomas said unto them, Lord, we know not where you go, and how can we know the way? You're talking in riddles. Jesus says unto them, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. He is the truth. He is the way to freedom. He can be the summation of the truth. He's the way we have freedom, Christ is how we have freedom he went to the Father. He's the only human being that's went to the Father. He established a position at the Father's right hand. And he did it after dying for the sins of the world, by the way. Well, no, big thing. It's like, no big thing. He's at the Father's right hand, establishing a place for you and I. And he will come back to get us. But between now and then, we have a position that's established, that we can go to in our minds. And it's through going to him to that place where he is established that we can have freedom in this life and we can actually do the will of our heavenly father and he can work through us. Positional truth is crucial to the Christian. It's crucial to living out the life of God today. It is not a theology, it's not a doctrine just for those that would study the scriptures more deeply. It is crucial to every single Christian. Cuz God has a work for you to do and you won't do it without getting your mind Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that we can come back to your word over and over and over. For we have frail minds and we forget things. But your word is clear. Your word has authority because it's from you. It's not just like the words of, of uh, Ulysses or some ancient historian. Or it, your, your word doesn't have authority because it's old. It has authority because it's from you and we so thank you for it father because we need it we need to know who we are we need to know where we're going we need to know what our place is right now and what you'd have us to do we need clarity everything in this world is confusion but you are clear you have said who we are and that is clear and we know our future is sure It is certain. we thank you for these things father amen Just let that run. Just Yeah, don't don't cancel it. We'll just keep going. Should I turn off the camera? Um yeah.